morning. I was thinking uh, as we were worshipping, you were having quite an oral workout this morning, aren't we? So, the service was opened by someone from France. We had a German giving the intercessions. The English were in there as well, of course. And you've got a Kiwi speaking now. So, well done. Uh, in case you don't already know, uh, Kiwis pronounce E as I, right? And lots of other words that you'll sit there going, what on earth is he talking about? But, should we just pray? I think we need it after that. Father, we thank you that in your majesty, because of your majesty, we can be restored and renewed and transformed. And so we just pray, Lord, as, as throughout this whole service, that everything that happens in these next few minutes is to the glory of God and him alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in, I think, the third week, losing count myself, the third week of this kind of Lent series, and um, the whole series is kind of been based around Luke 15. I'm not going to read Luke 15 again, but I do want to encourage you, um, if you consider St. Michael's your home, uh, and you're not part of a house group, um, I really want to encourage you to go and see these two over here, Bill and Shirley. And they can, um, they can kind of steer you in the right direction there. Um, being part of a house group is just amazing. And uh, we have house groups running all throughout the week at various stages. So I really want to encourage you to be part of that. Um, what I do want to read is 2 Timothy 3.16 this morning, just to kind of set the, set the tone. And 2 Timothy 3.16, hopefully will pop up on there. There you go. And it says this. All scripture, from the front to the back, all of this is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Isn't that encouraging? I hope you find that encouraging. I find it very encouraging. Pay particular note, if you will, for the purpose of all scripture and the outcome that God desires from us reading it and studying it and preaching it and meditating upon it. And the outcome is righteousness. So we're going to revisit that thought later on. Now, if you are part of a house group, and um, you've been reading this passage. I don't know whether you're like our house group. Now, I don't want to name and shame our house group, so I'm not going to say who's in it. But we fairly easily fell into that way of thinking that there was a certain injustice about this parable. We fell into that trap of thinking or of using the parable as a magnifying glass to examine others' actions rather than a mirror 
to reveal our own attitude. Now you might think that's a bit of a mouthful. So I'm going to give you a lot of scripture verses this morning and the reason I'm going to do that is because you can go to our website smw.church, you can look on YouTube for St Michael's Westcliff, you can look on Facebook and you can kind of review and I do encourage you to review the things that are taught in this place and the scriptures that are used because if we were to stand up here and unpack everything, um, I mean I think it would be brilliant but service would probably be about four hours long. So, um, Matthew 7.3. You will know Matthew 7.3. Remember that story? Why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own? Why do you use a magnifying glass to try and find fault in others rather than letting scripture be a mirror that shows you what I'm like, or what you're like. Scripture won't show you what I'm like, although, yeah, let's not go down that road. See, the youngest son wanted something for nothing. He was self-serving, he was hedonistic, he did his own thing, at least until he had no other options. The older son, he was dutiful. He was obedient. He was kind of a, we, we can fall into the way of thinking he was a lovable rogue who, yes, lost his temper, but was probably well respected in his community and certainly added value to the father's estate. So that's a very common way of thinking about this, that the younger son was a right pickle and the elder son was basically a good egg. Yeah, alright. As this parable plays out, it kind of somehow doesn't fit with our conditioning. And that conditioning is one that we'll receive a reward depending on the amount of effort that we put in. You work hard, and perhaps more importantly, you're seen to be working hard. And then you get what you deserve. Have you ever heard that expression? You get what you deserve? That might be acknowledgement amongst your peers. It might be recognition in some way. It might be promotion. It might be status. Romans 5.8 tells us that the gospel is that we don't get what we deserve. And that's the truth, isn't it? None of us get what we deserve. In fact, back in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, The punishment for our transgressions was laid on him. We don't get what we deserve. So actually, that's a lie. When someone says to you, you know, you'll get what you deserve, you can say, thank God, I won't get what I deserve. Thank God that he got what I deserve. It's been said a number of times from up here, uh, from various people that, you know, in this life, God takes all the risk with us, doesn't he? Because I'm the flaky one. God's the same yesterday, today and forever. I'm the one that has good days and bad days. 
In the light of these things, I want to suggest to you that actually it was the father who was the real radical and it was the real prodigal in this account. See, it was the father who was most lavish. It was the father who was extravagant. It was the father who gave good gifts, even at great personal cost. It was the father who watched out for the return of the one he loved. And then it was the father who so freely covered the transgressions and iniquity of the son. When we've come to the understanding that it's not my good works or self-effort that can save me, then we begin to grasp the gospel. Romans 3.23 tells us in the most inclusive way possible this truth. It says, all have sinned. All, every one of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And remember, attitudes, not actions, are what I want us to focus on here. Because the reality is this, God can deal with the things we've done wrong. But what can God do with an attitude that says, I don't need you, I can sort myself out. I'm my own saviour. Now it might sound harsh, but I think this was really at the heart of the elder son. And we'll unpack that a little bit. Let me ask a question. I like a bit of kind of feedback. Who here likes spending time with self-righteous people? <laughs> what? You surprised me. Isn't, isn't that fun? No one wants to spend time with self-righteous people, do they? Why? Because they're so hard to get through to, aren't they? Because someone who thinks they know everything and they're getting everything right and they're the answer to all their own, not to, well, they haven't got any problems, they're the answer to your problems and everyone else's problems. Uh, we sang last week the line, Who, O Lord, can save themselves. Isn't that true? Isn't that the gospel? The sons, as I said, were both, in their own ways, self-righteousness. They looked to their own actions as a way of justification and self-fulfillment. The younger son, we'll deal with him first, he eventually gives up trying to be his own salvation because that's what he was trying to do. He changes his attitude and he comes home to the father. And the father does what? The father clothes him, clothes him, 
in his own robe. Isn't that amazing? What does scripture say that God does to you and I when we come to him? He clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 if you want to read it up. Now, I could go on a bit here because there's lots of other significance there. There's significance in that you remember that the Father gave the Son his ring. Yeah? Now, to us, that probably doesn't mean anything. But to them, that was the symbol and recognition of the Father's authority. All authority has been given you. All authority, the Father's authority has been given us. We could talk about the fatted calf. A sacrifice was made. And we could go on and on and on, but we're not going to do that. And what does the Father do when the older brother looks only to his own welfare and deeds and obedience, letting it get in the way of the Father's grace. He pleads with the Son. He says to the Son, your brother's come home. He was lost, but he's found. Celebrate. Get over yourself. There's a message there for us. The church. Sometimes we need to get over ourselves. And we need to celebrate. As the Father celebrates. Luke 15.10. We know it. All of heaven breaks out in a party when one sinner is brought home. Now, somewhat sadly, we don't see the elder son change his attitude. And that should be a warning, because I think that, you know, Jesus was very um, clear when he gave this parable. There will be some that may feel that they're very close to the Father, but will hold on to putting them at the centre of their lives. We didn't do a kid's talk this morning, and initially I kind of, I did what well, I was going to bring a, um, a podium, you know, like you see at um, the Olympics, right? And uh, I was going to say to the kids, which step do you want to put yourself on? Because see, that's how it is in our lives, isn't it? Which step do I put myself on in my life? And maybe more importantly, which step do I put God on in my life? Because although the younger son started off standing on the top of the podium, when he came back, he was prepared to say, I don't even want to stand on the podium. Forget second or third, I don't even deserve the podium. And where did the father put him? 
Let me just let me just give a couple of thoughts on the Father. So I'll give a thought again, and I'll give the scripture. We we won't we won't read them all, but like I say, please review. Um, I, I it's just a wonderful way of preparing your heart. Um, this morning, I I. Uh, as part of my preparation this morning, I listened to Bill last week, actually, last Sunday night, um, preaching. And it just does your heart good to hear the word of God. And so I really do encourage us all to do that. So let me sum up the Father like this. Five points. Now you're probably thinking five points. It's going to take ages. It's not going to take ages. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. The Father is the one who gives freely. Remember, you might have heard it before, someone said to me once, they said, um, forgiveness is free, but it wasn't cheap. Mm. Have you ever heard that? Isn't that amazing, isn't it? Helps us keep that perspective. Forgiveness is free, but it wasn't cheap. The Father gives freely. Revelation 3.20 shows us that the Father is the one who waits expectantly. Now you might not be able to recall what Revelation 3.20 is, but I'm sure you've seen the painting. Right? You remember the painting by Holman Hunt? Of, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah? Got the little, whatever it is, lantern. Luke 19.10, the Father is the one who runs towards the lost, the broken, and the repentant. Psalm 103 verse 12, the Father is the one who forgives unconditionally. There is nothing that you and I have ever done that God cannot deal with if we bring it to him. But an unrepentant heart is as hard as the hardest stone and something we should avoid at all costs. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17 I'd never been to church before I was uh, 18 years old. I'd never been to Sunday school. I never didn't have, you know, parents that took me to church or any of that whole thing. This was the first verse that I ever uh, learned. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. None of those five things have anything to do with the fact that you or I deserve God to do them. Is it not? He chose to do them. Our actions didn't bring them into being. God's will from the start was that we know 
a father who gives freely, who waits expectantly, who seeks out the broken and the lost, who forgives unconditionally and who restores completely. So you see, the love of the Father is truly extravagant, is it not? Without limits, all-embracing, and dare I say it, beyond what you and I could ever think or imagine. That's who he is. He's the one that jumps out for me in this whole passage. Let's pray. Father, just thank you. Thank you for your extravagant love. Thank you for your abounding grace. Thank you for your enduring peace. Thank you for your complete restoration. For those who realize that there is nothing that we can do in our actions that you cannot deal with as long as we have that attitude of coming to the Father. So Lord, we just thank you for your word and we just pray that we would drink it, read it, hear it and use it as we seek to be people who reflect your righteousness in everything that we do and say for the glory of Jesus.